You are listening to RudolfSteinerAudio.com. As well, you can hear these lectures at uh, RudolfSteiner.Podbean.com. Please consider becoming a patron. As well, there are two publishing houses, SteinerBooks.org in America and RudolfSteinerPress.com in England, which are the sole publishers of Steiner into English and have given me permission to do these recordings. This is a reading of Collected Works, Volume 144 by Rudolf Steiner, The Mysteries of Initiation from Isis to the Holy Grail, uh, four lectures, translated by Charles Davy. This is Lecture 3, given in Berlin on the 5th of February, 1913. When we of our time undergo an occult training, which leads us to such experiences as were described in the last two lectures, we enter by means of this training into the spiritual worlds, and there we experience certain facts and meet with certain beings. The phrase, quote, to see the sun at midnight, close quote, is fundamentally only an expression for spiritual facts and for the meeting with spiritual beings who are connected with solar existence. But when we ascend into the higher worlds, we undergo certain experiences which one cannot describe otherwise than by saying we experience much that is significant in the higher worlds through such an ascent, but we also feel forsaken and alone. We feel that we can gather up our experience in some such words as these, quote, much, very much you are seeing here, but the very thing you must long for above all else. After all, you have gone through that you are not able to experience. And we would like to question all the beings whom we meet after such an ascent concerning certain secrets we long to understand. That is the feeling we have. But all these beings who unveil much that is immense and powerful remain silent when we want to learn from them about those mysteries that we must now regard as the most important of all. Hence, individuals in our time, when they have mounted thus to the higher worlds, feel it to be, above all, painful that in spite of all the splendor, in spite of their meeting with those glorious beings, they have an immense emptiness in their inner life. And if nothing else were to happen, a protracted experience of this loneliness, this forlorn condition in the higher worlds, would finally bring about something like despair in our souls. Now at this point something can happen, and usually does happen, if the ascent has been undertaken according to the true rules of initiation, which may be a protection from this despair at first, though not permanently. Something like a remembrance may arise in the soul, or one might say a retrospect into far-off times of the past, a kind of reading in the Akashic record about long-past happenings, And what is then experienced, one cannot characterize these things except by trying to clothe them in approximate words, might be put in the following way. When as a modern individual you ascend into these higher worlds, you are met by forlornness, despair. But pictures call up for you long past happenings, showing you that in distant times humans ascended into the worlds into which you now wish to rise. Yes, From these pictures in memory, you may well come to recognize that in earlier incarnations, your own soul took part in what these humans experienced when formerly they rose into the higher worlds. It might even appear that the soul of a present-day individual, in contemplating these pictures, 
looks at experiences of his own, passed through in times long since past. Then, in those remote ages, this soul would have been an initiate. In other cases, we would know only that our souls had been connected in times long past with those who, as initiates, had then risen into the higher worlds. But our soul now feels lonely and forsaken, whereas those once initiated souls did not feel lonely and forsaken in the same worlds, but experienced innermost bliss. We will recognize further that this was so because in those ancient times souls were differently constituted, and for this reason they experienced differently what they beheld in the higher worlds. What is it then that is really experienced? The experience now in question is such that it brings before the soul beings of higher worlds who are working upon the sensory world from the supra-sensible realms. Beings are perceived who stand behind our sensory world. Conditions are seen such as were described yesterday. But if one tries to summarize all one sees, it can be characterized in some such way as the following. We feel ourselves to be in the higher worlds, and gazing down, as it were, into the sensory world, we feel ourselves united in some way with spirits who have passed through the portal of death, and with them too we gaze downward and see how they will again employ their forces in order to enter physical existence. We look down and see how forces are sent out of the supra-sensible worlds in order to bring about the processes of the different kingdoms of nature in the sensory world. We see the whole current of events which are prepared for our world out of the higher worlds, because in the course of a sojourn of this kind in the higher worlds, we are outside our physical and etheric bodies. We look down upon them, and we see also those forces in the cosmos, in the whole spiritual universe, which are working on our physical and etheric bodies. And through the activity of the beings into whose company we have entered, we learn to understand how physical and etheric bodies come into existence within the physical world. We learn to understand this thoroughly. We come to understand how certain beings who are associated with the sun send their activity into the earth and work on engendering the human physical and etheric bodies. We learn also to know certain beings associated with the existence of the moon who work down out of the cosmos in order likewise to cooperate in bringing about the physical and etheric bodies of human beings. Then, however, arises a great longing, a longing that becomes terrible for someone of the present time. It is the longing to know something of how the astral body and the ego are born out of the cosmos, how they come into existence. Whereas the seer can discern exactly how the physical body and the etheric body arise out of the forces of the cosmos, completely hidden from him is everything that could point to how the human astral body and the ego are brought into being. In deepest darkness and secrecy is veiled everything that has to do with the astral body and ego. Thus the feeling grows. What you are in your inmost nature, what you yourself really are, is veiled from your spiritual sight. And that in which you sheathe yourself when you are living in the physical world is disclosed to you precisely enough. 
All this is experienced by us in the present time, when we rise to higher worlds in the manner described. It was experienced also by those who in primordial times undertook the ascent. But they did not feel the great longing we have spoken of. They had no need to behold their innermost being, for they were so constituted that they felt a deep inward satisfaction in perceiving how the spiritual beings whose company they had reached were at work in building physical and etheric bodies on the earth. In contemplating how these beings worked down from the sun to accomplish this task, the souls who were initiated in past times found their highest satisfaction. It must be added that the work performed by these beings presented itself under a different aspect in those times, hence the satisfaction it could afford. In our time the work appears in such a light that one asks, Wherefore all this preparation of the physical and etheric bodies, if one cannot understand what these sheaths conceal? That is the difference between a person of the present time and someone of old. And the period in the past, which was connected particularly with these experiences, is that in which Zarathustra initiated his pupils and guided them up into the higher worlds. If aspirants were to be led up into the higher worlds in the same way today as they were by Zarathustra, they would feel the emptiness and loneliness to which reference has been made. In the time of Zarathustra, those who were to be initiated experienced the working of Ahura Mazda on the physical body and the etheric body, and in the unveiling of this wonderful mystery they felt bliss and satisfaction for they were so disposed that they felt inwardly stirred when they saw how the sheaths, which we need if we are to accomplish our earthly mission, are brought into existence. In this way they found satisfaction. Thus it was with the Zarathustrian initiation, for the initiates could, quote, see the sun at midnight, close quote. That is, they were not looking upon the physical form of the sun, but upon the spiritual beings who are linked with the sun. They saw emanating from the sun the forces that play into the physical body. They saw how the forces which the sun is able to send forth mold the human head and form the different parts of the human brain. For it would be folly for anyone to think that a marvelous construction such as the human brain could come into existence merely through terrestrial forces solar forces must work into it. These forces bring together the complex involutions of the human brain, poised above the face. Engaged in this task are quite numerous beings. Zarathustra gave them the name of Amshaspans. They furnish the stimulus for the forces of the cosmos, which make possible the building of the human brain and the upper nerves of the spinal cord with the exception of the lower twenty-eight pairs of nerves. Then Zarathustra also pointed out how other currents flow from beings who are linked with the life of the moon. He showed how wonderfully the structure of the cosmos is adapted, so that from twenty-eight groups of entities, IZs as they are called, currents proceed which build up the spinal cord with its twenty-eight lower pairs of nerve fibers, 
Thus are physical and etheric bodies formed out of currents which stream forth from cosmic beings. They were powerful impressions that the initiates of Zarathustra received in this way. And in receiving them as an expression of the work of Ahura Mazdao, they felt an inner bliss concerning all that is thus accomplished in the world. If we moderns were to raise ourselves in the same way into the higher worlds, we would, of course, also be capable of wonderment. We, too, would be able to begin to experience the same bliss. But gradually we would pass on to the feeling that one cannot clothe in words other than these. Quote, what is the purpose of it all? I know nothing about that being who passes from incarnation to incarnation. I know solely about those beings who build up sheaths in each new incarnation out of the cosmos, but they build only sheaths. Quote. That was precisely the essence of the Zarathustra initiation. Its revelation of the connection between the earthly part of us and the life of the sun. It was characteristic of the time of Zarathustra that we were able to absorb into our occult knowledge those mysteries we have now described. Again, it was in a different way that souls in ancient Egypt entered the higher worlds at initiation. Souls, for example, who went through the Hermes initiation. We have already spoken about all these things, but in these lectures they will be presented in rather more detail than was possible previously. When in ancient Egyptian times souls were raised into the higher worlds through the Hermes initiation, then, as it must always be after initiation, they felt themselves to be outside their physical and etheric bodies and knew that they were now within a world of spiritual facts and spiritual beings. The circuit of vision to which these souls were then led was wide. They were shown the individual beings and facts, as can happen also with the soul of today. But one must not think of it as though they went about on physical feet. It was their vision that was guided, as if a person's sight were to be led all round a region as wide as the universe. Thus it was, in this initiation. Then came a moment of experience wherein the initiates felt as though a traveler in a country encircled by the sea had reached the shore. They knew they had come to the farthest point attainable. In the Egyptian initiation they experienced what one cannot clothe in other words than these. Quote, in your vision you have been led far and wide through cosmic realms and have come to know the beings and forces that work on your physical body and your etheric body. But now you are entering the most holy place. You are entering a region where you can feel yourself united with the being who works with others on the part of you that goes from one incarnation to another and on your astral body. Close quote. It is a significant experience that occurs at this point, for after it all things become in some sense different. For the initiates after that, one possibility is closed. In the world they have now entered on the shores of cosmic existence, they are no longer able to make use of their former ways of thinking and judging. If they cannot cast off all this earthly physical power of judgment, if they cannot discard what has guided them so far, 
then they cannot have this experience on the borders of existence. They cannot feel themselves united with that being who is active when human beings as spirit and soul approaches their birth into a new incarnation and seek nation, family, and parents in order to clothe themselves with new sheaths. All the beings whom they have already come to know and who make it clear to them how the etheric and physical sheaths arise and are formed out of the cosmos are unable to explain what kind of forces are working in that being with whom they now feel themselves united and who is building and weaving in the innermost astral being of humans themselves. It becomes quite apparent to the seer, as it was to the Egyptian soul, who is going through the Hermes initiation, that now, after the soul is outside its sheaths and has passed through the, quote, cosmic existence, close quote, already alluded to, it feels itself united with the being. The soul can feel the qualities of this being, only it feels itself as if it were within these qualities and not outside this being. And it can know that this being is really there, but that it is at the same time within this being. The first impression that the aspirant receives of this being is such that one says to oneself, in this being lie the forces which bring the soul from one incarnation to another, and also the forces which illuminate the soul between death and a new birth. All that is there within. But when there surges toward you a force like unto spiritual cosmic warmth, one that conveys the soul from death to a new birth, and when there presses toward you the spiritual light that illumines souls between death and a new birth, and when you feel how this warmth and this light stream out from the being with whom you are united, you are now in a quite peculiar situation. You have had to drink the waters of Letha to forget the art of understanding that formerly guided you through the physical world to lay aside your former power of judgment, your intellectuality, for here these would only lead you astray, and as yet you have gained nothing of a new kind. In your experience of the cosmic warmth which brings the soul to a new birth, you are within the ocean of forces which illuminate the soul between death and a new birth. You experience the force and the light that issue from this being. You behold this being in such a manner that you can do nothing but ask of it, Who are you? For you alone can tell me who you are. And only then can I know that which takes the essential inward part of me as a human being from death to a new birth. Only when you tell me this can I know what my innermost nature is as a human being. And the being with whom the aspirant knows himself to be united remains mute. He feels with the deepest part of himself that he is united with the deepest part of the being. The urge toward self-knowledge arises to know what a human being is. And yet the being remains silent. Aspirants must first have stood for a while before this silent being and have felt deeply the longing to have the riddle of the universe solved in a new manner, as it never can be on the physical earth. They must have brought into this world, to this being, as a force out of himself, the deep longing to have the riddle of the universe solved in a way foreign to physical existence, 
and the soul must entirely live in the longing to have the cosmic enigma solved in this manner. Then, when they have felt themselves united with the mute spiritual being and have lived within it with longing for the solution that we have indicated, then they feel that there streams forth into this spiritual being with whom they are united the force of their own longing. And because this force of the aspirant's own longing for the solution of the riddle streams out into the spiritual being, after a time it gives birth to something like another being projected from it. But what is born is not after the manner of an earthly birth, as the aspirants know at once through their own vision. An earthly birth arises, in quotes, in time. It enters into the stream of time. But concerning the birth from this being, the aspirant knows it is born from this being. It has been born from this being since primordial times, always. And this birth continues from primordial ages up to the present. Only this natal process of one being from another has hitherto not been visible to us. Until now it has been withheld from our sight. This natal process consists in this. It is really continuous, but we, owing to our having prepared ourselves by means of our yearning for the solving of the riddle, now see it. It is now perceived in the spiritual world. The aspirants know this. Thus they do not say, Now a being is born, but rather, From the being with whom you have united yourselves ever since primordial times, a being has always been born. But now the process of the being's birth and the being itself who is born are perceptible to you. What I have now pictured to you, as far as it can be done in the words of our language, is that to which the Hermes initiators led their pupils. And the feelings that I have just described, I might say with stammering words, for the things contain so much that the words of our tongue can express only in a stammering way, these feelings were the experiences of the so-called Egyptian Isis initiation. When the aspirants who were going through the Isis initiation had reached the farthest shore of existence and had gazed upon the beings who build up the physical body and the etheric body, when they stood before the silent goddess from whom warmth and light come forth for the innermost of the human soul, they said to themselves, quote, That is Isis, that is the mute and silent goddess, whose countenance can be unveiled to none who see only with mortal eyes, but only to those who have worked themselves through to the shores which have been described, so that they can see with those eyes which go from incarnation to incarnation and are no longer mortal, for an impenetrable veil hides the form of Isis from mortal eyes. When the aspirants had thus gazed upon Isis and had experienced in their souls the feeling described, they understood what has been described as, in quotes, the birth. What was this birth? They understood that it can be designated as, quote, the resounding through all space of the music of the spheres, close quote, and as the merging of the tones of this music of the spheres with the creative cosmic word, the word that permeates space and pours into the beings everything that has to be so poured into them, as the soul has to be poured into the physical and etheric bodies, 
after passing through the life between death and a new birth. Everything that has to be thus poured out from the spiritual world into the physical world, so that what is poured out acquires the inward character of soul, is poured in from the harmony of the spheres resounding through space. The harmony of the spheres gradually assumes such a form that through the inner significance it expresses, it can be understood as the cosmic word, the word which ensouls the beings that are vitalized by the forces of warmth and light that pour into those bodies arising from the divine forces and beings perceived with the vision already attained. Thus did the aspirants look into the world of the harmony of the spheres, the world of the cosmic word. Thus did they look into the world that is the veritable home of the human soul during the time between death and a new birth. What is hidden deep in human physical earthly existence, but lives within death and a new birth, is the splendor of the light and warmth. What deeply veils itself in the physical world as the world of the harmony of the spheres and the cosmic word was experienced in the Hermes initiation as coming to birth from Isis. There Isis stands before the aspirant, Isis herself on the one side, and on the other side the being she has born, of whom one must speak as cosmic tones and the cosmic word. The aspirants feel themselves in the company of Isis and of the cosmic word born of her. This cosmic word is, in the first place, the appearing of Osiris. Quote, Isis in association with Osiris, close quote. Thus do they appear before direct vision. For in the very oldest Egyptian initiation it was said that Osiris was at the same time spouse and son of Isis. And in the older Egyptian initiation, the essential thing was that the aspirants through this initiation experienced the mysteries of the life of soul, which remains united with us during the period between death and a new birth. Through the union with Osiris, it was possible to recognize ourselves in our deeper significance as human. So it was brought to pass that the Egyptian initiates met the cosmic word and the cosmic tones as the elucidators of their own being in the spiritual world. But that was only up to a certain point of time in the ancient Egyptian period. After that, it ceased. There was a great difference. This is shown also by the Akashic records, when one looks back into ancient times. Between the experiences of the Egyptian initiates in the ancient Egyptian temples and what they experienced later on. Let us bring before our souls what the initiates experienced in these later times. They could still be led through the vast spaces of the universe to the confines of existence. There they could meet with all the beings who build up the human physical and etheric bodies. There they could approach the shores of being and could have the vision of the mute, silent Isis. There they could apprehend in her the cosmic warmth which contains the forces that lead from death to a new birth. There they could also become acquainted with the light which illumines the soul between death and a new birth, and the longing arose to hear the cosmic word and the cosmic harmony. Longing lived in their souls when it united itself with the silent Isis. 
but the goddess remained mute. In that later age, no Osiris could be born, no cosmic harmony resounded, no cosmic word expounded, but now showed itself only as cosmic warmth and cosmic light. And the soul of the aspirant could not have expressed these experiences otherwise than by saying something like the following, quote, Thus, O goddess, do I look up in grief to you, tormented by the thirst for knowledge, the yearning for knowledge, and you, you remain silent and speechless toward the tormented and sorrow-laden soul. And this soul, because it cannot understand itself, seems to itself as though extinguished, as if it must lose its very existence. Close quote. And through her mourning countenance, the goddess expressed her powerlessness to bring forth the cosmic word and the cosmic harmony. The aspirants saw in her that she had been deprived of the power to bring forth Osiris and to have him at her side, Osiris as son and spouse. They felt that Osiris had been torn from Isis. Those who went through this initiation and came back into the physical world had a serious but resigned worldview. They knew her, the holy Isis, but they felt themselves to be, quote, children of the widow, close quote. The point of time between the old initiation, wherein one was able to experience the birth of Osiris in those ancient Egyptian mysteries, and that wherein one met only the mute, mourning Isis, and could become a child of the widow in the Egyptian mysteries, the point of time which separates these two phases of the Egyptian initiation, when was it? It was the time in which Moses lived. For the karma of Egypt was fulfilled in such a way that not only was Moses initiated into the mysteries of Egypt, but he took them with him. When he led his people out of Egypt, he took with him the part of the Egyptian initiation which added the initiation of Osiris to the mourning Isis as she later became. Such was the transition from the Egyptian civilization to that of the Tanakh or Old Testament. Truly, Moses had carried away the secret of Osiris, the secret of the cosmic word. And if he had not left behind the powerless Isis that could not have resounded for him in the way that he had to understand it for the sake of his people, that great significant saying, quote, I am the I am, close quote, Eje Asher Eje. So was the Egyptian mystery carried over to the ancient Hebrew mystery. We have tried now to show, using such words as are available for these matters, what the experiences were like in the mysteries of Zarathustra and of Egypt. These things do not lend themselves to intellectual presentation. The essential point is that the soul goes through experiences corresponding to what I have endeavored to describe. And it is important to enter into what took place in the soul of the aspirants in the later Egyptian initiation, to feel how they raised their souls into the higher worlds and met Isis with mourning looks and sorrow-stricken countenances, the result of her having to view the human soul, which was well able to yearn and thirst for knowledge of the spiritual worlds, but could not be satisfied. Certain Greek initiates also experienced the same being of whom the Egyptians spoke as the later Isis. Hence the seriousness of the Greek initiation, 
where it appears in its solemnity. What had been experienced in earlier times in the supra-sensible worlds, what gave significance to those supra-sensible worlds, in that they resounded to the cosmic word and cosmic tone, was no longer there. It was there no more. The supra-sensible worlds were as though desolate and forsaken by the cosmic word. Those worlds into which in earlier initiations aspirants had been able to enter. The Zarathustrian initiates could still feel satisfied when in these worlds they encountered the beings already described, for they felt themselves fulfilled by the cosmic light, which they perceived as Ahura Mazda. They perceived it as masculine, of solar nature. The Egyptians perceived it as feminine, lunar. At a higher stage in the Zarathustrian initiation, they perceived also the cosmic word, not so concretely as if born from such a being as Isis. But they experienced it, and they knew the harmony of the spheres in the cosmic word. In the later Egyptian time, and also in other lands during this late Egyptian time, when aspirants raised themselves into the higher worlds, their feelings were quite similar to those of, of present-day individuals, as described at the beginning of the present lecture. They rise up into the higher worlds, become acquainted with all the beings who cooperate in building up the physical and etheric bodies. But they feel themselves forsaken and alone if nothing else appears, because they have something in themselves that longs for the cosmic word and the cosmic harmony. And the cosmic word and the cosmic harmony cannot resound for them. Today such individuals feel lonely and forsaken. In the later Egyptian age, they did not only feel forsaken and desolate, but if they were true children of the widow and were out of the physical and etheric bodies and in the spiritual worlds, they felt themselves as human souls in such a way that they were constrained to clothe their feelings in the words, The God is preparing to leave the worlds which you have always trodden when you felt the cosmic word. The God has ceased to be active there. And ever more and more did this feeling condense itself into what one may call the suprasensible equivalent of what we encounter in the sensory world as human death. When we see someone die, when one knows that they are passing out of the physical world. Now when the initiates of the later Egyptian age rose up into the higher worlds, they were partakers in the gradual dying of the god as one feels with a person when he is passing into the spiritual world, so did the initiate of the later Egyptian period feel how the god took leave of the spiritual world in order to pass over into another world. This was the significant and remarkable part of the later Egyptian initiation, that when the aspirant raised his life into the spiritual worlds, it was not into rapture and bliss, but in order to partake in the gradual passing away of a god who was present in these higher worlds as cosmic word and cosmic harmony. Out of this frame of mind there gradually condensed the myth of Osiris, who was torn away from Isis and conveyed to Asia, and for whom Isis mourned. With this lecture we have placed ourselves on one bank of the stream, which separates the evolution of humanity into two parts. We have come from the direction of this evolution as far as the bank. We stand upon it. 
and what this standing signifies has been brought home to us through the frame of mind of the later Egyptian initiate, the child of the widow, who was initiated in order to experience mourning and resignation. It will now be our task in the boat of anthroposophy to cross the stream that separates the two shores of human evolution. In the last lecture we shall see what is on the other shore when we push off our boat from the place where we have experienced the mourning for the God who is dying in the heavens, when we leave that place in order to traverse the stream and arrive at the other bank, when the boat of anthroposophy has carried us across with the remembrance that we have previously experienced the dying of a God in the heavens, we shall see what presents itself to our view on the other side. The end of Lecture 3